Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rural Spark, the podcast on rural innovation in Canada, both social and economic. I'm your host, Helen Murphy. You might have said to yourself at some time, wouldn't it be great if we had a college campus here or a satellite campus of a university? Having a post-secondary institution located in a rural community, which often does take shape in the form of a satellite campus, has indeed proven to be a real boon to community development and economic growth. But I'm sure it's safe to say that there are many more communities in Canada that would love to have a campus set up shop then there are feasible opportunities for these institutions to expand. But this week, we're going to take a look at one of the success stories and learn from the community experiences and hard work that led to that success. In 2012, the new waterfront campus of Ottawa's Algonquin College opened in the small city of Pembroke in the heart of the Ottawa Valley. And today, we're pleased to have Jamie Bramberger, acting dean of the waterfront campus, in studio with us to share the story and talk about the role that the new campus has played in rural revitalization. Hello, Jamie, and welcome to Rural Spark. Thanks, Helen. Pleased to be here. Jamie, we're really interested in this story about the uh, Pembroke campus of of Algonquin College in Ottawa. Can you tell us a little bit about the location of it in the upper Ottawa Valley? And I I think it's on the waterfront, is it? It's called Waterfront Campus? It's absolutely on the waterfront, uh, right on the shores of the Ottawa River in downtown Pembroke. But the campus itself has a really rich history. And, and if you will, uh, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. uh, I'll share some of that because it's really a story of entrepreneurship. So if you go back to when the Ontario College system was formatted in, in 1967 under then Premier John Robarts and his education minister, Bill Davis, there were a group of Pembroke businessmen at the time who actually made a pitch to the province to say, Pembroke should have its own college. So if you think of Algonquin College, St. Lawrence College, Georgian College, that's what they wanted. They mm. actually wanted an entire college to be built in Pembroke. Uh, rightly so, the government of the day decided to put the colleges in large urban centers under the condition that satellite or regional campuses be established in other communities. Right. And so that's what happened in Pembroke. And so 1967 is when the Pembroke campus was formed as an extension of Algonquin College in Ottawa. And so what was the, um, when we, before we got into building a new campus there, now that opened in 2012, so I'm not sure how long the construction period was. Was it several years? A couple of years. Right. So what was there just before the construction started? What kind of a campus was there? Yeah, so we had a, uh, what was a, an old dairy actually, that was built on the main street of Pembroke, and it operated there for probably 50 or 60 years. But in the late 1960s, once the the Pembroke campus was established, and it started with a grand total of 16 students, that's Uh one six. So it it was put into that old dairy. and, And over time, what happened was the campus continued to grow. It was primarily serving a local need. So local community based programming, things like you know, you know, architecture design was in there at the time, forestry or woodworker, they called it right. at one point, uh, healthcare programs like nursing. So those courses continued. And by about the late 1990s, the campus kind of was around 500 full-time students. And then there was a, an evolution in the type of programming that the campus was delivering. What, what 
the campus found was that the local high schools and elementary school populations were in decline, which is often the case in rural areas. Mm -hmm. And so they looked around and really started to do some strong strategic planning around what type of programming could we offer here that would attract students in large numbers from out of the region. And then we would not be so reliant on local students to fill seats. And out of that came an outdoor adventure program that was done in partnership with local industry. And it proved that if you had the right mix of programming, you could attract students to a smaller rural area like Pembroke. And from that, the enrollments grew. And so by the time 2012 rolled around when the waterfront campus was built, that was really done out of necessity because Mm -hmm. there was no room for expansion in the former campus, the old dairy. And the expectation of students was changing as well. There was no gymnasium. There was no fitness center. Students were expecting more from their post-secondary experience. And as a result of that, there was this huge community push that eventually led to a beautiful campus on the waterfront. Yeah, I've seen the pictures, and we'll get you to tell us a little bit more about that uh, in a bit. But um, I, I should define, at first, I know there's lots of people who are involved in an ambitious project like this. You've been on staff, and your roles maybe have changed a little bit. What, what was your role in terms of the uh, pre-campaign and, and during the campaign to build it? I joined the college in 1999, and my role was manager of community and student affairs. And that still primarily is my role. I'm in an, an acting position right now. But that role is really... It it covers all of student services, so managing the student services department, things like financial aid, health services, admission, counseling, recruitment, marketing. But it also has a public relations, media relations, and community relations component to mm-hmm. it. And so what was my role? Well, in, in 2005, we initiated, and I was involved in this, an economic impact study. We were able to secure some external funding to look at the impact that Algonquin College had had on the Upper Ottawa Valley over the course of many, many years. And what that really said was to the community, this college is vitally important. And at that time, there was also some industry that was changing. We were losing traditional industries. There was a movement towards a knowledge economy. You know, the Internet was really changing the way we do business, both in education and both in society. And as a result of that, this economic impact study said it really awakened people to the multi-million dollar impact the college had through its operating budgets, through the employment it provided, access to post-secondary education, the residual impact of graduates who were remaining in the area, creating or providing a labor force, paying taxes, buying things. So there was a lot said in that report. And out of that, that was in 2005, 2006, came this conversation that had been going on for some time, but it became a much deeper conversation about the need for a new campus because the old campus was landlocked. And as I said earlier, it wasn't meeting the expectation of students. The next step was to really look at a fundraising feasibility study, something the campus had never done before. And what came back very strongly from people that we talked to was, number one, yes, if you can move this forward, this agenda to build a new campus, we'll support you. And the second question that needed to be asked, to what extent? And the number that came back was $2.5 million. And eventually that capital campaign uh, was fulfilled. The community did contribute that amount of money. So my role was really involved in, right from day one, helping with get some of those studies rolling, really building a community advocacy campaign, speaking to anyone who would listen, whether that was municipal politicians or that was business people 
or organizations, uh, the labor market that would benefit if we had a new campus. And we called it Renaissance Square. Mm -hmm. And Renaissance Square was really about giving the project a vision that sort of said, if we do this, if we pull this off, this is a renaissance. It's a renaissance for Algonquin College in Pembroke because it really allows us to do some things we can't do now. But it's a renaissance for the community, particularly Pembroke's downtown. And as a result of this multi-million dollar project that was completed in 2012 after a couple of years of construction, uh, that's exactly what we have seen. Enrollments have grown to over a 1,000 full-time students. There has been a tremendous interest in the downtown where uh, developers have invested and have built, you know, new stores, new shops are opening, uh, very, very niche stores. If you come to Pembroke today, compared to what it looked like before the new campus opened, it's night and day. Wow. You used to see a lot of empty storefronts. Now you see old buildings had been brought back to life with an investment that really protected their heritage and character, but modernized the shopping experience. And I'm, you know, all of us that have been involved in this project, uh, whether you were a college employee or somebody in the community that maybe gave to the, the capital campaign or helped in some way, everyone's very proud because it has been a transformation. And, uh, and the other piece that's come out of this is we had no student residences mm -hmm. when we had our old campus. After the new campus was built, private industry, entrepreneurs took care of that need. We now have three privately owned and operated student residences providing space for up to 175 students. That took some pressure off us around finding accommodation for our out-of-town population, which is about 50% of those 1,000 students. Mm -hmm. So th there are so many great examples of the spin-offs that have come out of this. And it is, I've often said this to people, having a college campus in our community is a jewel. It's a gift, and it's a gift that needs to be protected because it is so important. We know education is the foundation of everything right. in, in today's knowledge economy. And so uh, having that campus there has been really, really special. Right, and I think that's why there's other communities across Canada would like to find out, you know, how this might happen. And I assume that having that foundational socioeconomic study at the beginning None of this could have happened without that. I think that's kind of a starting point. You mentioned, was there external funding for that? There was. Was it government funding? Yeah, we worked with Renfrew County Community Futures, which is a wonderful economic development engine for rural communities. And they were very, very helpful. They, you know, it, it always takes a leap of faith for any funder to look at a particular concept, idea, study, and say, boy, that's an ambitious project mm -hmm. because it was really about building a, a multi-million dollar campus. No guarantees, of course, but you have to start somewhere. And so the pitch that was made was, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a new campus and, and what it would mean for our community, our region, all of Renfrew County? But you have to start somewhere. And the first piece that you need to do is to advocate. You need to be able to tell your story. And I think for many, many years, Algonquin College in Pembroke was seen as, oh, yeah, I drive by that. Uh, there's a sign there, and, and there are some people that I know or some offspring that, that I have that attend there. But I don't really think that people looked at it from the perspective of what they look at it today as, mm -hmm. which is an economic driver. And a lot of community a, pride, I'm assuming. A, a tremendous amount of community pride, uh, really a, a hub 
right. if you will, for the community. And, you know, students and faculty and, and college staff and employees are involved in so many different things in, in a rural region because you are so intertwined with, with everything almost that happens, whether it be a, a community project uh, whether it be supporting some sort of social club or organization, fundraising activities, research, uh, you are just integrated so deeply in your community. And for those of us who have the pleasure of working in post-secondary education in rural areas, it's very special. Yeah, it absolutely. really is special. Absolutely. And it, it seems to me when we talk about the Pembroke campus, we're not just talking about one municipal unit, right? There's a number of municipal units throughout the Ottawa Valley that were consulted you know, in the early stages, even before the project was officially launched. From what I've seen, it seems like though a lot of those municipal leaders were actually kind of front of the band in terms of calling for this and stressing the need for this and supporting this. Was, was that a really important element? Absolutely. The municipalities, and there are 18 in Renfrew County, the mm-hmm. city of Pembroke and 17 that are part of county government. We spoke to every one of those municipalities. We made presentations a few times, actually, speaking about the need Number one, for a new campus, what their role could be from a public advocacy perspective, what the long-term benefits, both short, medium, and long-term benefits would be of having that new campus. Now, ultimately, Pembroke benefits the most because that's where our history is. We've been part of that city for more than 50 years. But there's no question the outlying areas, particularly those that are closer to Pembroke, like the, the Petawawas and the Laurentian Valley townships, there's a significant number of their residents who access post-secondary education through the college. And, you know, the, the other thing that I think is important about, about having a, a community college in a rural community is it really is an access point not only to get a college education, but to potentially to get a higher level of education. Right. There are so many articulation agreements now with universities and there are online options. But, you know, opening the door through the college is so important. Mm-hmm. And and again, colleges serve people from 17 years of age to 60 years of age. As they say, it's never too late. You know, lifelong learning. So there are so many different programs. We have 20 full-time programs that are available in Pembroke, but we offer apprenticeship programs for the skilled trades. We offer corporate training to businesses that may need to do some professional development within their sectors to to enhance the skills of their existing employee base. So again, it, it really is a wonderful thing for a rural community to have a college. Right. One of the things, of course, um, if you want to build something like this, a satellite campus, you got to get by the board, right? And one of the things I was interested about the Waterfront Campus story is that when the resolution to build it to get that green light, actually went to the board at Algonquin College. It called for approval or it asked for approval to build with or without government money. That sounds risky. It sounds like maybe it could have been turned down. It ended up being unanimously supported. Um, Why did it have to be worded that way? What kind of signals were you getting around that, you know, government partnership outreach? And uh, were folks surprised on the team that it actually came back unanimous? Well, I remember that day very, very well. It was November 10th, 2008, when that motion went to the board and was passed, as you said, unanimously. And the key words in that motion was, you know, we're going to build this campus. It'll be open by 2012, and we're going to do it with or without government funding. That's extraordinary. Right. 
And it really speaks, uh, you know, to the senior leadership of the college and also to the Board of Governors at that time that they were willing to make that decision. So at that moment in time, there were certainly some infrastructure money that was available to public buildings, including post-secondary education, that was making its way into the system. And Algonquin College was treated very, very well by both the provincial and federal governments. Uh, there were some, that the Perth campus, uh, another rural area, uh, received some funding to build a new campus there. There were other projects at the main campus in Ottawa that were also funded. So the government treated Algonquin very, very well, both levels of government. The Pembroke campus was a different situation. It was a project that was multi-million dollars. And I I suppose at the end of the day, there wasn't uh, enough funding still on the table Mm -hmm. to be able to support the Pembroke campus project. So what the Board of Governors said was essentially, obviously, they they did the necessary financial due diligence. and, And they made the decision that, you know, this project has already earned a lot of respect, a lot of support in the community. By this point, some fundraising had already started, and there were significant financial commitments that had been made if this project were to be approved. And I think at the end of the day, that won the day. And the lesson learned, I think, for any rural municipality that has a big project, whether it be a community pool or an arena or some other education center, whatever it might be, is that if there is enough community support for a project of that magnitude, and if you have vision and you have strong leadership, which we certainly did at both the local as well as at the the senior levels of the college and the Board of Governors— and projects can happen. Uh, they're not easy. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of willpower and it takes a lot of collaboration and a lot of thoughtful review to make sure it is the right thing to do and, and that it, you know, obviously is going to to be the right decision for the long-term health of the college. And in this case, I think that was the decision that the Board of Governors made courageously but I would like to think that that decision has been rewarded through what has happened. Uh, record enrollments at, mm-hmm. at the Pembroke campus. Again, the downtown revitalization that was anticipated. And at the end of the day, one of the most picturesque campuses in the Ontario College system, built on the shores of the Ottawa River. I, you know, I, I bring people through that building all the time, and I'm always blown away because I, I literally live there. Right. I'm there all the time. But for those that go through it, you can just feel it when they walk in the building and and they walk into that space and they're looking at the glass windows and they're seeing the river right there. There's just this really good vibe about it. People really like the space. It's a special space and it's proven to be a wonderful addition to Pembroke. And when we talk about the Pembroke and area community getting behind this, um, there's some special challenges around that fundraising effort, right? Because as you mentioned, it used to be not that much of a campus and people would drive by and see a sign there. Um, there were some people who didn't even really know what Algonquin College was. And now we're trying to get them to donate to this uh, cause. Tell us a little bit about that challenge. It certainly was a challenge. So uh, within most smaller communities, you always have a number of different organizations that are holding regular fundraising campaigns. Hospitals are a good example, um, different charities, Cancer right. Society, Lung Association, those kind of places. 
as a college, we had not at that point done a lot of fundraising. Matter of fact, I don't think we had ever done fundraising at the Pembroke campus. There were over the years, you know, bursary and scholarship donations that were made, but they were not initiated by the college. Mm -hmm. They were initiated by an individual, a business, an organization that wanted to support students in some way. So because there was no history, people weren't used to us you know, knocking on doors and having conversations. And, and it's not easy to ask somebody, are you interested yeah. in, in donating to this cause? And in this case, you are asking them to make a significant investment. And the community really opened up its wallets and purses and, and did absolutely that. So yes, that was difficult. But I think at the end of the day, it comes down to, do you have a strong case? Right. Can you present a well thought out concept. In this case, building a waterfront campus, and not only would it mean to the college and around access to post-secondary education and providing these world-class teaching and learning facilities, but what else would it bring? You know, what would those economic development spin-offs be? What would it mean to the local labor market if we had more students who could fill some of the gaps, which are very, very real in rural areas because of the declining demographics right, in sure. that working age population? So there was a very, very compelling argument and case to be made. And I, I think in the final analysis, uh, we presented that very, very strong case and the community responded in, in a big way. I, I have to say this um, Alan and Katie Huckabone, Kathleen Huckabone, were certainly um, a very well-respected couple in our area. And when they declared that they would make a half a million dollar donation to the campaign, uh, I think that's when people really stood up and took notice and said, if that couple is going to support that campaign, I'm in. Now, obviously, that's an extraordinary gift. At the time, it was the largest gift made by an individual or individuals, not organizations or corporate donations by an individual. And and the Huckabones really, um, rightly so, the library is named the Kathleen and F. Right. Allen Huckabone Library, uh, because that really put that, that fundraising campaign over the top. Yeah, I bet. What was it when, um, I've seen pictures of the, the complex from the outside, Give us a quick snapshot of what's in there when you walk in. What sure. kind of facilities are there that are really going to attra- are attracting? It's it's um, it's happening now that people are coming from uh, far and wide. Sure, it's a four story building, a little over one hundred and five thousand square feet, sixteen classrooms, nine specialized labs. Those labs include three nursing labs, what we call a high-fidelity and low-fidelity lab, the high-fidelity being that we have mannequins that talk, that can uh, make different noises, can go into different medical conditions, which is a wonderful teaching tool for our faculty and for our nursing students to learn in. Uh, We have a beautiful science lab. We have a computer systems technician lab, forestry lab, a whole bunch of different uh, skilled trades labs. So a lot of spaces like that. And then we have both traditional and collaborative classrooms, which are really meeting spaces where you can do group work, which can be in a very, very effective learning environment. Uh, in addition to that, there's a gymnasium, which is something we didn't have previously. There's a fitness center. All of student services is located on the first floor right off this large commons area that can be used for multiple purposes. It can be a cafeteria. It can be a study space for students. It can be a collaborative space for students. It can be used for conferences. It can be used for a whole bunch of different things. 
So library, of course, a two-story library with fantastic views out onto the Ottawa River. The architect did a magnificent job of having natural lighting. No matter where you are in the building, it's a feel-good place. And we know that mental health is very, very important in wellness now. So if you can picture this, and you might want to close your eyes to this because I want you to really visualize this, but if you're a student and you're studying at the Waterfront Campus, uh, not only do you have this great space to learn in, but now you come in and you're having a day where you just need to kind of go outside and really get some fresh air. So now you're going to walk along a beautiful wooden boardwalk. You're going to see maybe a sunset, and it's going to be shining in the Ottawa River with a nice reflection. You're going to pull out a book that you've been studying for your math class or your English class, and maybe you've got a friend with you, and, and you're working together studying on this park bench, looking at this fantastic natural beauty of the Ottawa River and the tree lines, and the waves are kind of subtly hitting the shoreline and that's the type of experience that our students have that goes beyond the classroom it's just this wonderful setting that has really made the campus a destination campus right where people feel good i've seen parents you know and parents always entrust in you when you're an educator particularly young students who have never been away from home before they really want to feel good about the decision that their student is making, whether it be the program, the teaching uh, that is going to occur, so meeting the faculty is important, the way the student services and support staff welcomes them, and the atmosphere. And I've done enough campus tours over the years and, and spoken to enough parents to know that they feel really, really good, and so too do the students after they visit that campus. And we always make sure there's a little bit of a walk in the waterfront. We have a I nice bet. day as well because yeah. it really helps, you know, seal the deal. Yeah, absolutely. In recruitment, uh, I mentioned earlier, Jamie, that I worked 14 years at St. Evicts University in Nova Scotia, and it's such a beautiful campus, so one of the most beautiful in Canada, that we always found that once we could get them to visit yes. the campus, it was pretty close to a done deal. And you must find that now with the new with the new campus. Absolutely. And there there are some parallels with, with St. Effects and Antigonish, Nova Scotia, small community. You know, the college is the big employer there. You know, the infrastructure is built around the college. Right. To some extent, that's what Pembroke is as well, although we don't have the X-Ring, ah, which has uh, such, such great power. Yeah, there I'll it is it again. i here, folks. <laughs> there it is again. But there are some similarities. And, and you know, the, the other thing that's really, really important about these college or university campuses that are situated in smaller municipalities, so rural municipalities, is the town and gown relationship. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So the relationship between the municipality, the host municipality, and the college as the educational provider for post-secondary education. The coexistence is so important because both parties know that they need each other. And, and when you have a strong town and gown relationship, you have wonderful things that happen through collaboration, whether it be volunteer experiences for students, whether it be planning. You know, we talked about housing, for example, privately owned and operated student residences, whether it be just helping students learn more about what it's like to come into another community and, you know, be respectful and, and understand what bylaws are and understand about how they can contribute, whether that be working part-time for the recreation department, maybe working on an applied research project, maybe doing some volunteerism for the winter carnival. 
those are skills that go beyond what they are taught in their program. We're, we're trying to create, you know, build wonderful citizens. Mm-hmm. And I think you can really do that well in a small rural community because of that town and gown relationship. Absolutely. And I don't want our listeners to get the impression that everything was all a bowl of cherries in the process of, of getting to this beautiful new campus in Pembroke. There were a lot of naysayers, especially mm-hmm. in the early stages. And when you're into big construction projects and you've got uh, municipal regulations and all kinds of things that can go wrong, there were obstacles along the way. What do you feel that it takes to really push through the negativity that you're absolutely going to encounter at different points and and make projects of this size happen. And one word, leadership. There are a lot of great ideas. Only some of those ideas become reality Mm -hmm. and come to fruition. In our case, again, just to provide a little bit more perspective on where we built on the waterfront, there was a beautiful park that was really built just to the east of the campus, a municipal park in 2000 as part of a millennium project that included a 500-seat amphitheater, a new boardwalk for those great views that I was talking about earlier. There was a children's playground. The marina was there. There was a Kiwanis walkway that walked you know, for about a kilometer and a half along the shoreline that was used a lot right. by thousands of people you know, when the weather was right. Mm-hmm. The space that we took over was actually being used by the city as a snow dump. So you can imagine that that was grandfathered because it was on the shorelines of the Ottawa River, probably um, not by today's practices an acceptable environmental use of that space uh, being beside the river. But to get that land, obviously we had a lot of conversations with the city and we were successful in getting it for a nominal fee, 14 acres of waterfront land. But that meant that the snow dump had to be moved somewhere else. And there was a government grant application that we worked with the city to help, you know, build. That was a grant that while that didn't go directly to the college, it went to the city, the municipality, to allow them to build a proper snow dump facility, which then was one barrier removed because now they found a spot for the snow dump then there was the access road that needed to be done. Again, the, gov- the, the government, the Ontario government, was able to fund an access road through the city. The city made the decision where that road would be to give us proper access to the campus. So that's a good example of collaboration leadership. You had so many people working in the same direction. We need to get this project completed and because this will be so big of a deal for our community that everybody just was all in. And it really is, uh, again, because of the significant number of barriers that had to be overcome, a substantial story. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that I've never encountered anywhere, to be honest with you. And, and I think that I've connected with a lot of people in the post-secondary sector over the years and, and different municipalities because I, I do some work on an economic development advisory committee for the city of Pembroke as well. And you, you get to see how projects come to be. And uh, this was a pretty special project. And, and again, I think Pembroke in the area is going to reap the benefits of this for many, many more years to come. For sure. And for people in other areas of Canada who might be just kind of contemplating taking on some big, big project like this, you said could be a campus, could be a big recreation center, what have you. Are there some key pieces of advice that you might give now in terms of those early stages and planning going forward, or maybe even some pitfalls that you would uh, recommend folks avoid? You need champions. You need people that have vision. And that's, again, leadership. That's what it comes down to. 
I think any of us can throw an idea at a at a wall. Right. You know, we can probably, you know, if you've been through brainstorming or painstorming sessions, uh, it doesn't take long to capture a whole bunch of thoughts and put them up on a wall. You need to take those thoughts, so, and you have to craft out a vision that is meaningful, that resonates with people, and then you need to get the right people involved mm-hmm. uh, who can really champion that cause and move it forward. We had certainly one of our representative at the time on the Board of Governors, uh, Fred Blackstein, was very, very influential in, in a number of places in the community, an Order of Canada recipient. Uh, I think that he deserves a tremendous amount of credit for moving this project forward. So that's, you know, I think having a strong case, strong leadership are probably the two most important things in trying to move a project forward. Obviously, there's a financial cost to any kind of project like this. But if you don't have people who who can see the big picture, who can present it in a way that resonates with people, that other people get excited about it, who have the wherewithal or the ability to make it happen because no one person can make this happen. It requires a lot of people at a lot of different levels. I think that that is the lesson that I learned. And and I've been fortunate enough to be involved in a lot of projects over the years and none to the magnitude of this one. But I think that that's a common ingredient, you know, that, that it really starts with, champions, people that are passionate who can bring others along. So leadership can never be understated in this type of initiative, but there has to be a good cause, something that people that will really, really believe in. Because if it's not there, nothing else, uh, you know, is, is going to matter. If, if people don't believe in it, they're not going yeah. to contribute financially together, to it. The best plans in the world are yeah. not going to make it happen. They're not going to participate in the process. So... I think that's the thing. And, and don't be in a hurry, I guess would be the other comment I would make. We we started that project in 2005. The building opened in 2012. Right. It takes time. It was a long runway. Seven years, a tremendous amount of hours and effort. But again, and, and there were always, there were highs and lows or, oh, no, that, that might finish this project or, wow, didn't see that coming. Uh, another great example, and I have to give credit, the Algonquin College Students Association right. uh, made a significant multi-million dollar commitment to making sure that there was a gymnasium and a fitness center in that campus. So again, if you layer it out, you had you know, municipalities, college administration, board of governors, students association, employees and staff, business people, organizations, all age groups, mm-hmm. young people. To, to seniors who all believed in the cause. And the cause was, we need this campus because it is going to be transformational. It is going to be so significant to the well-being, the economic prosperity of not only Pembroke, but of Renfrew County. This is a project we're going to get behind. And they did. And you're right, Jamie. It's a very compelling story. Um, thank you for sharing it with our listeners on Rural Spark today. And I'm hoping uh, I'm in that area sometimes, and I'm hoping to get down to visit it. And uh, I assume you'll give me a tour. I hope you'll give me a tour when I can make it down. Absolutely. I, I love talking about it. I, I'm sure that probably has come through. It's, it's but, obvious. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's just, you know, you don't get many chances in life to work on a project that has such an impact on people. That's what this project was. And what's really exciting to me, it happened in a rural community. Exactly. Because sometimes rural communities really struggle to transform the way things are within their boundaries because it's not easy. 
There are lots of challenges when you live in rural communities. So when you hit a home run like this, it's something you'll never forget. Right, and we appreciate you coming in and and sharing it with us. And uh, some practical advice, too. We always like practical advice for people who might be thinking about going down a similar path. So thanks for sharing that with us, and uh, thanks for being our guest. Thanks very much, Helen. Bye-bye. And thanks to all of you for joining us this week on Rural Spark. Our team includes content producer Catherine Murphy and technical producer Tara Seabarth. Music is by Jason Shaw. We wish you all the very best for the week ahead in your part of rural Canada.